Good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to those of you online, those of you in the room. My name is Ross, one of the pastors here, and so excited to be walking through the scriptures with you this morning. We're continuing on our pursuit through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we'll recap some of that uh, here in a moment. But can anyone feel the reason for the season of excitement that football is back? You know? And uh, I didn't I didn't do this early in the first service, but I naturally was starting to think like we both enter a season of great rejoicing and great pain if you're a Bears fan, you know, and that's just the reality. But rejoicing if you're a Packer fan or a Colts fan like me because it's going to be a great season. But I feel like generally the Bears just never have a good season. So I'm hopeful for you all, but maybe just prepare your hearts now, you know, and we'll pray. We'll do a special prayer for that at the end. No, I'm just, I'm just playing. But I'm excited uh, just as we're in this season, continuing through our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you didn't know or are just now joining us, this is a moment where Jesus himself sets aside on a mountainside and begins teaching those uh, who are gathered, his disciples, and begins to teach through a way of life that is that is radically different than what they might have believed before, had heard before, had been taught before. And that same truth might be for some of us today, too. And so we get to take part in both uh, seeing and reflecting on Jesus' teaching in the scriptures, but also in the way the scriptures are delivered to us to live by the very word today. And so throughout this portion, we uh, before this week, we kind of see this sweeping moment of Jesus identifying two different kingdoms at play, the kingdom of the world in which we live and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in which he is reigning supreme fully over. Uh, and I say fully in the sense of right now, he is fully supreme uh, just omnipresent, uh, such a great God, fully in control. But yet we're living in a kingdom of, of Jesus has come, but he's not already yet fulfilled it to the fullness of we're fully with him and in, in, in presence and status and relationship. We yet live in a broken and sinful world today. And so we get to see parts of where Jesus' call and command is different than what we might understand or the way the world might portray it to be or say it is when it in fact isn't. And so this morning, before we get any further, I like to just kind of give you a roadmap of what I would like for you to learn and walk away with before we get going. And it's this. I want you to understand this morning uh, that Jesus desires the right heart behind your actions and obedience to him. And the word of God is our pathway to find those, to see those. But Jesus is an example by which we may live ourselves. And so in our passage this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 17 through, we'll go through 22. Uh, and I know it says more on the screen. We're kind of chunking through it together, uh, slowly together. So we'll probably get to some more um, as we go. But for now, we're going to go 17 through 22. Let's read it together openly and I'll pray for us as we continue. It says this in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of God, heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to people long Long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. 
And anyone, anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing us together this morning, for allowing us the opportunity to walk through your holy and righteous and, 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 and just word, that we're able to live by it, but also, God, we're able to see uh, Jesus um, preaching and teaching through what we would see is the righteous way of life in which we may live as followers to you. So God, I pray that today you would, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, pierce our hearts and show us the path in which you would lay out for us to live, the places where we need to sacrifice uh, to do it. Uh, for you and your glory alone, we thank you again for just meeting us here. In Jesus' name, amen. In the fall of 1993, there was 128 men set out on a course. It's an NCAA Division II cross-country championship, which is my favorite sport. That is a lie for sure. Sorry, I can't lie to you straight face and not tell you. Not necessarily my favorite sport, but this is in specifically Victoria Country Club in Riverside, California. And so these 128 men set out on this course. And if you don't know much about cross country, it's essentially a long endurance running race cross country. Right? Yeah. And so in this process, there would be a set course that uh, these men would be prepared to run. And through it, they would be training for many weeks in advance and then committing that day to not only running against each other on the same team, however, but also against other teams, schools, people in this context um, to gain the, the fastest time or to finish the race first. Throughout this race, however, there was some miscommunication in the layouts by which the men were to run on to complete the course in fullness. Specifically at one of the turns, there were flags along the way and someone notifying a turn to come, but yet many more steps of running beyond that, there was just simply not enough evidence to show them where they needed to turn. And so 123 of the men running turned a different direction than five of them who turned the correct way. So in this process of turning a different direction and taking a shortcut, 123 men finished with fastest times as ever, as ever cutting off more than 1,000 meters of the run through a shortcut, which was miscommunicated and clearly that they took. The five, on the other hand, ran the course in fullness and finished dead last. And you can imagine by the end of this, the question remains, the officials of the event, what may you say for this issue, for this miscommunication? And you know what they did? Nothing. <laughs> they said, actually, uh, it's a miscommunication on our end. And although it took out 1,000 meters of the race for 123 of the guys, only five of you did it correctly, we still can't uphold that, that you, you can do, like, you can win the race by just simply doing, sorry, there's people yelling. I'm sorry. Can someone go tell them that, please? Thank you. Yeah, Sam's on it, our sound guy. Thanks, Sam. Uh, there's just the musicians hanging out, just being musicians. It's great. So anyways, um, through, through this process, right, five of the men complete the course in fullness, so 123 don't. The officials do nothing. They said the 123 who, com who completed, even in misconception, even in a shortcut, are, are still good. We're going to record their times as accurate. And the five men who placed last were defeated. You can imagine, they completed the race to the fullness of the way it was created to compete in. And it reminded me of this striking re realization that oftentimes in our world, which we live today, 
it does not often reward those who complete the fullness of the path which is right or good, which is true and honorable. Oftentimes in our world today, we may be faced with compromising decisions or outcomes or shortcuts rather to get to the same status than rather another path would have gotten there in the right way to obtain the same. But sometimes in our world, we're not always rewarded for staying on track for what's right and good, but sometimes rewarded for taking shortcuts, making our own way to get the same result. However, when it comes to our relationship with Christ, here's the stark contrast to what we need to see throughout the scriptures as we prepare our hearts to engage in God's word, is that we may, as, as selfish, um, sinful beings, begin to try to create concepts to take a shortcut to gain righteousness for righteousness' sake with God. But yet Jesus here completely defies that reality, that only you who are going to live the way of righteousness before me that I put on display for you, give to you, but yet call you in command to live by, is only done one way, the righteous way in which I call you to. There is no shortcut, because where Jesus is headed is to a capturing of our heart, which then in flow changes our actions. And once he gets to our heart, there's no other shortcut to get there to begin with. Once we allow him to capture our heart and surrender to him, there can be no other way but his way, his rule, and his righteous path. And that's what we begin to see Jesus lay out in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount as he teaches and, and begins to walk through the Old Testament law and then applying um, some intensifications some ways in which he's really intent is to capture our heart and no other way. So if you're following along, if you have notes with us, uh, I like to just kind of leave notes out for you there on the back there. You can fill them in as you go, or if you're on the uh, uh, phone of the Bible app, there's Notes on there you can take too. If you're just taking them by yourself, that's cool too. They'll be on the screen. My first point for you today is this. Jesus has come to fulfill. Jesus has come to fulfill. And so we see this very quickly in his introduction here, what we could call it, in verse uh, 17. It goes like this. We learn that Jesus, by this word, verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not a... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so Jesus is specifically uh, referring to the Old Testament law. What well, we can know, uh, it's also called the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. This Old Testament law that at this time, um, those who were Jewish, uh, specifically boys by the age of 10, would memorize. Because what this law did is it really gained some defining ground on what it meant to live in covenant relationship with Yahweh, God, but then also with each other. And so it addressed a few things, how we may live in covenant with God and each other. And so we can uh, define it as this divine instructions given to Israel at the time. So in order they live this way. And so in this pattern, Jesus is, is kind of introducing in this next stage of my teaching. So he, he's simply saying, I have not come, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, but yet what I'm going to begin to teach to you next, essentially by the way of his words, are to fulfill them. And this is an extremely powerful statement of Jesus, because as we may or may not know, the, the passages to come identify specifically with some Old Testament law, and which was malpracticed and not practiced correctly, with a lack of heart, but only a fullness of, well, even somewhat so, hypocrisy of action. 
And so Jesus, in a way of introduction, is specifically referring to this, saying, I need to make my intent known. The, the reason God has sent me is not to abolish the law of the prophets, but to actually fulfill them. But freely I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not a smallest letter, a single stroke of the pen will by any means disappear, for yet he's here to fulfill. And so we think really quickly, we can look at like, the, you know, the Ten Commandments, this Old Testament law that some of you may know some of them. Um, and, and through this process, Jesus has to quickly remind them that he is this fulfillment. But he also mentions not only the law to be in the letter of the law, which, which many of them may know, uh, a lot of them probably do know in the context of where he's preaching, but he also mentions the prophets. And so like, what about those prophets? See, a prophet is someone called by God to deliver a message from God to his people and directing them for what's to come or maybe warnings presently to be. So through this holy process, Jesus is also saying, hey, listen, also, not just the written letter of the wall delivered by Moses uh, that you probably know and adhere to to some level or memorized, but also all the prophecies that be, everything that God used um, through a way of a prophet, I'm still here to fulfill those as well. And, and we see a stark, uh, a quick one just by his death and resurrection and the prophecies that were to be, that he were to die and, and rise again. And so Jesus really quickly is, is just identifying, here's, here's the introduction to this whole thing. Because he, he doesn't want to get too much further and lose them to the reality that he's come to fully fulfill, fully complete. And I naturally think of um, just in my own personal life, if you ever worked in a, a fast food restaurant or uh, some sort of business that you're fulfilling orders over time, this is where the context can kind of get a bit confusing because it's not just in that context of filling an order and hopefully someone eats it. Or in my example, I worked at like a UPS store. And I had this funnel of like forever peanuts, not the edible ones, but you know, like the filling peanuts, those were fun and terrible, you know, because you get those all over yourself. And if they fall around, they're hard to clean up. But, but either way, when I was fulfilling orders, they would come to me, I'd fulfill them and I would package them up and then send them off. And hopefully they would reach their destination. In the context of Christ, though, he's not saying uh, I'm here to fulfill and just tell you some things and hopefully they work out. He's like, no, I'm the fullness of the fulfillment of what has to be and what is to come and what is to be fulfilled in you as followers, faithful followers of me, that the righteousness you take on due to my sacrifice is fulfilled by me before God. Like, like so many different things that, that, that we can contextualize to his fulfillment, but it's not just a momentary, here, let me package these things and hope that it works. It's, no, I'm the fulfillment of what has come, what will come, what is to be. I'm the fully righteous son of God, God in the flesh, who, who, have, who have been called, commanded to carry these things out before you. And so this fulfillment's rather unique in the way that he says he comes to fulfill the law and the prophets, that what is to come, that it was to be. And of course, many of the laws which we reflect on here in a few moments and even throughout the next few weeks of our series. And so second thing we learn from this introduction, just quickly from the words of Jesus, is what he's both in, in, in not confusion of, he's not here to abolish the law or the prophets, but then we see an aspect of what he's contrary to. And this begins to dig deeper to the heart in which the law was to be applied, and it rather isn't at the time. And so in verse 19, we begin to see Jesus continue. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. As we just read that together, you, you may notice a stark, quick, like, like turn, right? Jesus is explaining very clearly that the commands in which he is going to lay out and intensify before us to, to help us understand are both to fulfill, like he says before, the law that which, which, which is already, but also their commands to be lived by, commands that we are to take part in, and that we are to teach and obey them. And yet in verse 20, this, this shift happens. He then begins to address what are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of the time. And what does he say? For I tell you that unless the righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What, what can we take? What can we understand about that? Jesus, what's going on here? And this is where some context will do us really good. So the Pharisees at the time, they were, um, most of them were really popular businessmen. And, and they were, essentially, they were this religious sect that they adhered their lives to the letter of the Old Testament law, to the law. They knew it inside and out. Um, they, they practiced it mostly, kind of. And they would help hold others to it as well. So they were in this process of religious teachers, leaders, in a way. What they were missing out on is, is something that Jesus begins to display in his teaching is a heart transformational intent. Because the problem with these Pharisees, especially at this time, is they were complete hypocrites. They would state there to the letter of the law, X, Y, and Z, this is how life needs to be lived, but yet they may not live it at all or to the fullness of which it should. We remember Jesus' very words in Matthew 23, 23, where he addresses this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so maybe their, their, their ways, and definitely their ways, were much more about actionable um, specifics that would probably make them look good or look appropriate to the law, but they were completely missing the heart of the point of what the law was to bring. And it was relationship, covenant relationship between God. It was to honor God and follow him intentionally, intently, like with their lives. It was a show truly, too, that, that they could not do it themselves. They needed saving. They were sinful, which we all know if we compare ourselves to the letter of God's law, even through the work of Jesus, we cannot compare to the glory we we, we, we inherit through Jesus, but to the, to the righteousness we need to be in relationship with him. We cannot do it on our own. And so they were these hypocrites, and Jesus is cutting directly to the heart with this moment, with, with these words saying, for truly, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, then you will not certainly enter the kingdom, for your heart is not right, for your intent has been wrong. And in this, in this idea of kind of we can begin to quickly um, compare, we, we must ought to think of it more as a, a type of kind of righteousness, not necessarily for righteousness' sake. So we can't, we wouldn't want to say like, no Pharisee ever will ever enter the kingdom of God. No, not, 
can't necessarily be true if they fully surrender and change their ways even after a moment like this. But yet it's the kind in which they are to walk a righteous life, to actually adhere to the law according to God's word, but also in following him intently. That their heart must be changed. There must be a different kind of approach, kind of walk with me if you were to be calling yourselves my followers, if you were to surrender to me and trusting everything to me. It must look different. And we see that illumination, whoever teaches these commands, uh, teaches and practices these commands will be called great. And that levels us into this reality that this walk with Jesus, this following after him in our life, must be both taught to ourselves as we walk in his word, but also to our friendships and and our family circles, but also obediently obeyed by our actions. And I think up to this point, we see this beautiful life of the one and only Jesus who has perfectly displayed a life in which is worthy of the letter of the law, of, of adhering to all that is required. A perfect and sinless, blameless, God in the flesh, lamb, that would be put on display, put, put on a cross for our sin, that he was the only one, unlike us, that could actually perfectly adhere to the Old Testament law to begin with. And so he's standing both as righteous God, fullness of God, but yet not taking that to his advantage, living a, a, a life within a sinful world, not taking on any sin himself, but yet taking on the sins of the world as a spotless lamb, spotless sacrifice, so you and me, you and me may know life, have life, um, surrender to him, find salvation through him, be saved from our sin. And yet he then becomes this perfect example by the way we could live. And in this introduction, it's important uh, just in his words to, to frame this because what we're beginning to see in the way he teaches are things that he himself, Jesus, fully committed to, obviously, in his life. Very evidently, and I say obviously, as we read and we see his interactions, the way he was both loving and kind and um, and, and, and generous and all good, perfectly knowing and, and all of that, we get to see very obviously that he embodies the call in which he commands us to live. Now this like quickly, and let me just make a confession. I've been going to the gym and I say that like in, in hurt because it does hurt. You know that. Maybe most of you, some of you don't. And love to meet you because that means you're just very strong. Probably you're like fit. But in this process of, of going to the gym, I was thinking of just how important it is to have a coach. And with my coach specifically, he trains me up in the way in which, I guess, fitness works. But even sitting in the same room with him, I realized really quickly that he has practiced what he's telling, preaching me, what he's telling me, right? Like he is doing it. Like he, he has done this before. He's learned about this. He's personally applied it. He's personally walked the path of fitness, right? And I can see that. So teenagers in the room, let me just put it in more simpler words. Okay, my coach is jacked, all right? He is strong. He is just buff. Whatever new word we got, teenagers, we'll figure that out later. He is um, massive. I don't know. So through this whole process and seeing him and the way in which he coaches and directs me and leads me, I can go one of two ways. One... I mean, naturally, I could look and he's like, okay, 
do this. And I'm like, okay, I'm straining. I'm dying inside. Like, I feel like the whole session's a death session. I feel like I'm just dying. But I can look up and see, okay, this guy's actually done this though. He knows this path. He knows this would be best for me. But say, what if the opposite were true? If, if you walked into a class, it was a long distance running class, and, and the teacher was kind of showing up late, the coach, and then it happened to be me, and I walked in. Yeah. You'd be like, do you run? <laughs> right? Like quickly, you'd be like, do you do this? You know, or are you just here to say hi to me? Or what's, what are you trying to do here? Are you in the class with me? That might be what you mostly assume, right? Hey, you're joining this class with me. And then I would surprisingly say, I'm actually your coach. Then you'd be like, oh, questionable, right? In that very similar way, though, you can clearly see that I'm not a long distance runner. And not to put shame to myself, I just will admit I'm not. I do not know that path of long distance running by choice or desire, just by force and requirement, you know? And not even distance. I mean, geez, I'm like acting like I do distance. It's like 100 meters, y'all. Okay. Like I don't long distance run. That's my long distance. All right. It's from here to the end of the room. So I think through this process, like you'd be like, whoa, I, I, I'm uncertain if, if you're the person who can be leading me. And that's the beauty of the life of Jesus. And while on display for us, that's a gift from God we get to receive from him. Through the life of Jesus, we get to see the beauty of God on display in perfection, of course, that we cannot obtain, but that's not the point. In a, in a pursuit and command and rule and way in which we're called to live, we get to see it on display in the life of Christ, in the walk of Christ, in the humility of Christ, by the strength of Christ. And the goodness of Christ, we get to see that as example on display for us. And so, you know, marking all this introduction of Jesus and coming to fulfill the law and not abolish it and coming to uh, rightfully set what's wrong right, and, and again with that heart piece, we get to take an advantage of seeing the fullness of the scriptures to be that they did not see, and yet taking a step to walk with the right heart, with the right intent, and this relationship with God before us, with this testimony right here with us. And so point number two, if you're following along, our obedience to the Lord must be with heart and action. And we're going to go through verses 21 through 30, um, and then pause there, and we'll continue next week. So verse 21 says this, You have heard that it is said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and everyone who murders, anyone who murders, will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to court. Then anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So now we begin to see, just in these few verses, Jesus beginning to introduce some of his direct teachings to the Old Testament law. He recognizes in this context, they would have known from long ago a, a commandment, a law on saying you shall not murder. But in Jesus' way and rule in which he's getting to the heart's intent, he delivers so very, very, very steadily the importance to the heart transformation that leads to the action in which the law and we must adhere to. What is that? 
Verse 22, but I will tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And so we see in direct relation that you shall not murder or you're subject to judgment. But, but I'll tell you too, Jesus saying, anyone who is even angry. So we see the intensification here, th- this transformational statement here that fulfills this very law. Because if you think of it, like Jesus is calling us to not grow angry. Well, what's the big deal with anger? Like truly, what's the big deal with it? A little bit, a little bit of anger. Like the drive through line is a little too long. I can be a little angry. Like, like someone said this thing, I could just be a little angry. Like what's so such a big deal about that? Well, here, here's the big deal. Here's the heart, heart issue, right? See, our anger doesn't always lead to physical murder in the sense of, of ending a life. Doesn't always lead to that. But yet when we grow in anger in our hearts, we are putting to death relational unity and causing divide between ourselves and someone else. See, anger at its deepest root and shed on someone else in our life puts to death that relational relationship, that, that encounter. Oftentimes leads to pure separation, divide. We quickly see, in what, which we'll cover next week, the step in which we must take to avoid anger and then find ourselves in reconciliation. But specifically for today, if you allow anger in your heart to grow and to, to manifest, it does just that divides, brings death to the vibrant of a relationship you may be in, but it's called div- caused division to anger. That's what's the big deal about anger, even the smallest bit of it. And, and, and we all know that anger just um, grows for itself. That if we start with a small bit, we end up with the whole pie, if you know what I'm saying. Like, like truly, like we, we all know that. We see that. Maybe some of us are currently living that reality that we have this uncontrollable anger and it's consuming all of us. Why? Because anger just eats, eats, eats at our life, eats at our heart, eats at our mind. And then through that anger, we of course see the act of murder, certainly, eats at our, and then goes to our hands and tent. But if we understand this transformational reality that Jesus says not only to grow in anger, what does that fulfill of the law? If you, if you pause to not grow in anger, you, you then seek reconciliation. We'll get to that next week. We, we, we pause to not grow in anger. Then thus the outcome of, of that law of not murdering will come to fullness. Because there's no anger to then act on in this way of murder. And this is the heart intent that Jesus is getting after. And the, and the fullness of our surrender, which should bring to him, should be on display in our lives. That throughout this process of identifying, helping us recognize and understand the law in which is to be and how Jesus is to fulfill them, is to understand his new way, his new rule, his, his righteous path, and which isn't so new to the letter of the law, but in the time is certainly new for the heart's intent and transformation. It's more than just about your actions, that they don't hopefully get to your heart but that your heart truly changes, surrendered to him, which would completely change your actions, which should overcome and and, and direct your very being. And friends, let me encourage you because as we continue to navigate through Sermon on the Mount, we're going to begin to see some really tense and hard uh, commands in which Jesus requires us on this righteous path to obey. 
And let me just spoil it for you, there are no shortcuts. The turns will be obvious. They will be like light and day in which God calls us, commands us to live. And it will leave you with a decision, maybe even a question, but a step in which you would need to take. As I've been praying for you and even for, as I've been preparing just as I close, I, I was praying that for my own life, that Lord, as I faithfully want to walk through your word and help others understand it, but also for you as you faithfully walk through God's word and help others understand it, would you make the transformation so apparent in me? Like, God, this heart change isn't just for us to read and walk away and be okay with what's present. But God, would you make the change in me? So I encourage you, whether online or in the room, to pray that prayer this week as you continue to walk through with us. Uh, personally at home, I encourage you to read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through uh, 7, and just sit in it and say, God, would you make this change in me that you're calling and commanding me? May you show me the path in which it looks to live righteously for you. And thankful for his grace every day and mercy to do that and to walk in which way that is obedient. So I'm going to pray for us. If you um, didn't on the way in, grab a communion cup. I'm going to take part in communion here in a moment. You can grab, go out and grab that at any time um, during my prayer after, whichever. I'm going to pray for us to close this time, and then we're going to go into some communion, and then we'll close our time together in worship. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for um, the truth in it, which sets us free. But God, by that relationship, with Jesus, that, that the fullness of surrender and pursuit of you, Christ, we find full freedom. Uh, we gain righteousness on behalf of you, God, and your great sacrifice, that we are to see, be seen righteous, blameless before God. But yet, God, in this current life, before we enter eternity with you, you've called us, commanded us to live in which a way that displays your goodness, that obeys your teaching, that obeys your, your great command for our life. This is not to bring on rules to worry us, but God, to give us the best pathway of life to healthily live with you and covenant with you and each other. So God, I thank you for this morning as we've walked through uh, your words so far. I just pray that you would impress it on our hearts and show us the way in which we may live to honor you, to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.